values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Some good news, or at least uh, some better news when it comes to the horrible shooting that happened in Cleveland, Texas. A suspect has been arrested, and other people have been arrested as well. Some of the people that may have been aiding that suspect. I say suspect, but we know who he is. I'm not on the jury, so I don't have to have a presumption of innocence. But um, it is the, it's the Border Patrol Tactical Unit. They call it BORTAC is the unit that captured this guy. And a lot has been said because of the use of the term illegal alien or illegal immigrant in reference to what's happened here and how horrible it is for the Texas governor. The people that are saying these things, the problem I have with that criticism is that just it's the same as it's the same principle as we used in that school shooting in Nashville, Tennessee. There are many people that did not want. And it's so funny how there were some that complied, not all, but some that complied with not talking about the person that did the shooting in Nashville was transgender because it had nothing to do with the shooting. Well, we don't know that because we haven't seen the manifesto yet, but. I will tell you this, and this is where I think the hypocrisy comes in. Most rational-minded people that are not activists on one item or another, and if you look what happened in Texas, there is a relevance here. And if it had been someone that was in the country illegally that had been deported four times, saved the lives of five people, you would be thrilled to say, hey, this person's been in the country illegally. We've deported him four times, but he's a hero. He saved four lives. So if you would be in favor of that and his legal status in the country had nothing to do with his life-saving efforts, then this is one of those areas where it – but it absolutely does. Here is a guy that has been in our country, been deported four times. And commits murders that you don't that's not relevant. You don't think that's relevant in a story out of the state of Texas. It would be anywhere else in the country, but it's relevant. But the bigger issue here for me is this shows the political divide when everything that we are talking about when it comes to this issue should be common sense. Um, look at how this has been handled. Look at what's going on in America. Um we are fighting over the basics instead of fighting for the best instead of fighting for what is ideal we are wrestling figuratively speaking we are we are verbally wrestling over nonsense our immigration system and our border security are broken and it is beginning to affect that third bucket which is commerce and trade. Um, Arizona is going to suffer from this. Um, there are people that are concerned. There's another story out of uh, Mexico that another American in Tijuana was killed. Um, and it's a 70, I think he's 79 year old guy who is an immigrant here in the 80s from El Salvador that frequently took um toys and clothes and supplies down to poor people in Mexico and was beaten to death. Now, again, crime happens everywhere. But if the impression from the American people is that it's not safe to be in places in Mexico that are frequently traveled to, it is going to have an effect. We have a vested interest that our neighbors to the south are safe. Here's a a fascinating um, connection. 
the mayor of Chicago, the outgoing mayor of Chicago, other people that are gun control advocates in major cities that have huge problems, but Chicago's been a big one of them, that have a big problem with gun crimes. They say their gun laws are very sufficient. Their gun laws are very helpful. It's the fact that people come from other states into Chicago and commit these crimes. And the problem is those other locations. Well, let's talk about Mexico. Let's talk about Mexico being free. Let's talk about Mexico being prosperous. Let's talk about Mexico being a a great neighbor to the United States. They are a huge trading partner. We have such family connections between Mexico and the American people. We have a great rapport, a great relationship. We benefit greatly from a prosperous and safe Mexico. As Americans, we benefit greatly, and we should be fighting for that. I'm not saying send in troops, but that's what the goal should be. That our neighbors have the safest, most prosperous nation they could possibly have. It is incredible to me that we're arguing otherwise. And here we have crimes being committed in our country by people that come into our country from others illegally. They've been deported a number of times at a time where America's attention to the border is at a heightened place. And we're supposed to not discuss it because it's politically incorrect in some people's minds and it, it looks negatively on this administration. Well, I would say instead of fighting about that, why aren't we fighting for the best border security that the world has in America where we know who's coming? and going and then we after we figuratively build that wall we have a huge door and we have the best immigration system the world has to offer the most efficient the kindest the asylum program that works where people aren't waiting 10 years to find out what their asylum uh, status is going to be instead look at what we fight over look at how we fight Anybody who wants to say that no one should be talking about the uh, citizenship status of the people involved in this, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. It is absolutely a part of this conversation. And when victims are victimized and people are in this country illegally, that's because we've created an underclass of people with the way that we do things. And so people are afraid to report crimes. And sometimes people are in bed with the cartels that shouldn't be in bed with the cartels because the cartels don't care about human life. There are so many other avenues to travel in this conversation of why the cartels have to be defeated. And instead of us saying we want the best border security that's available in the world. We want to be the example to the world in how to protect your borders. We also want to be the number one in the world in immigration. Our immigration system should be the most robust. It should be the safest. It should be the fairest. It should be everything the world envies. And instead of us fighting to do those things, look at how we fight. Look at what we fight. And it, it, we ought to be embarrassed. We ought to be embarrassed. So that's just my take on where we are with this. In a moment, a big story yesterday, the Phoenix Fire Department fighting an electric vehicle fire at a Waymo warehouse. Why is this an important story for everyone to talk about? We'll, We'll get to this. This is an important story. It's coming up in just a couple of moments. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. 
Hey, appreciate you spending some time with the show. As always, we still have the hottest tickets in town, Suns playoff tickets. If you want to, we're going to be calling names, uh, 7 a.m., 11 a.m., and 4 p.m. hours. Uh, that begins today. So in the 11 a.m. hour, we will have a name for you. If you'd like to have your name entered, and just in case you get registered to win tickets to see the Suns versus uh, the um, – um, who are we playing? Denver. The Denver Nuggets just test – Text ticket to four one one ninety two three. That's ticket to four one one ninety two three. An interesting story. I was watching the news yesterday afternoon, and uh, one of the big stories was that Phoenix Fire and I believe other agencies may have been involved, but it was in Phoenix that it happened at a Waymo um, uh, warehouse, and one of their electric vehicles, one of their EVs, caught on fire, and it took hours and about sixty firefighters to extinguish this fire. They ended up pulling it out of the building and they've got some new ways of dealing with this where they took the vehicle still smoldering with a forklift and it was completely burned out. Hood was off, roof was off, it was gutted and they put this vehicle in a dumpster and then they covered it with wet dirt or wet sand. It will stay that way for weeks before this fire is extinguished. And it's a new challenge that public safety is facing. And uh, it goes with the territory. I think, you know, uh, most of us intellectually, at least if we haven't really thought much about it, that when uh, when new buildings are built, when they're built taller than others, firefighters have to adjust, whether it's how they climb in, in buildings. You know, 9-11 is a big example of climbing hundreds and hundreds of stairs of floors of stairs to get to where people were. Or if you're talking about the equipment, trucks that would be able to get to high places uh, here in Arizona, in the Phoenix area especially, there has to be crews of people that are able to hike and get people and do mountain rescues. Um, they have to have the special equipment in the uh, the stretchers that are used with the wheels and big tires that are used for this. My point is that public safety has to adjust to changes in society. Now, as easy as it would be to go down the road of criticism for EVs, it's not about that. We, we have electric vehicles, and we have for a long time, and they're becoming more and more commonplace. But what public safety, what the fire department is figuring out, and have, has been – I shouldn't say they've been guessing. It's taken them a while as the technology changes to become better and better at putting out these fires. When Hurricane Ian crushed my hometown of, of Fort Myers, Florida, one of the things they weren't prepared for, and I think they've become more prepared for, was once – the water receded, what salt water did to the batteries in EVs. There were a number of homes that withstood the storm, and when the water receded, EVs caught on fire in people's garages, and homes were lost. Um, so what are how does public safety catch up with things like this? When you talk about a response of about 60 firefighters to one car fire that were there for hours and now new protocol is how they're putting these things in dumpsters and then covering them with wet dirt and I'm sure it's going to catch up, but what will this do in public safety? You know, people talk about how those batteries respond in very cold weather versus very hot weather and where they work best and how they work best and what are the dangers. And when one of these EVs catches on fire, it is something that they have to watch for. When one of these vehicles catches fire, it takes hundreds, if not thousands of gallons of water to try to extinguish it. And even then, it doesn't do a very good job. There have been a, a number of times in southwest Florida after the hurricane. 
hurricane where they thought the vehicle fires were put out, but they smoldered and kept burning for days and days on end, that this is something that is going to have to be dealt with. This technology is not going away. It's only going to become more and more and more. And how toxic are the fumes from these when one catches on fire? Um, And I'm not someone that's a fear monger at all, but for the people in Queen Creek where these battery plants are going to be hit, what kind of precautions are in place when you're dealing with those kinds of chemicals? And so this is stuff that our public safety people have to deal with. In construction, you have uh, what's called MSDS, and you have MSDS sheets or material safety data sheets. And it is everything that you have on your job site that might be toxic. And it sounds dumb. It sounds mundane. And it is. Let's be honest. Unless something bad happens, um, it is mundane. Um, And when something does happen, though, having that information can save lives. You know, we used to use PVC pipe in PVC glue, which is flammable. But we had PVC conduit that we used a lot as electricians. It's a different kind than what plumbers use. And it's toxic when it burns. And so they need to know what and how much of that is on a job site. So if something happens on that job site, they look at the MSDS sheets so they know what kind of dangers they might be dealing with. These are the kinds of things that public safety is been you know doing for a long time what now in this industry what kind of training what kind of new equipment are we going to be purchasing as taxpayers to make sure if and when this happens again you know as well as i do when you see a car crash on the freeway you see fluids draining from a car we're concerned about fires you're concerned about toxic when a car burns it's very black uh, from the rubber that's used and the chemicals and the oils and the all the other stuff in a car what element of danger is there now with batteries how long they take to put out. What's it going to take? What's that technology like? And as we get more and more electric vehicles on our roadways, how much more of this equipment is going to have to be available? Because it could be multiple car fires at a time. You know as well as I do on the freeways on your way home at any given time, there could be multiple crashes on freeways all around the valley. And we have to have public safety from DPS making sure that the traffic is handled to the firefighters, paramedics, ambulances are out there making sure that people get to the hospital safely what do we do with these evs i think it's an interesting question i am going to reach out to phoenix fire i'm going to reach out to some others to find out how prepared they are um and not as a scare tactic but really i'm interested are they prepared for um these kinds of fires what should people be concerned about because when one of these evs catches fire it takes forever for them to get at the huge amount of water that's been used and other chemicals that are being used to try to douse these fires and now new practices. I just think it's a fascinating change. It's part of the growth of any country, of any place. When you see this happening, how are we going to change with it? Coming up in a moment, a very interesting question, and the New York Times actually asked it. Can you pass an eighth grade history test? A new report says many eighth graders cannot. What's the cause? We'll talk about it next. And strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. Coming to you. All right, so appreciate you spending some time with the show as always. Um, 
We are now hearing, and I'm going to read from the headline about uh, National Report Card shows kids don't know U.S. history. As a teacher, I'm not surprised. It's an opinion contributor to the USA Today. We're going to start there. But I want you to hear a couple of things and reasons why. I believe part of this is the issue. Um, This is a headline. Teachers sound the alarm over growing problems in schools, say colleagues are leaving in droves. On Teacher Appreciation Day, three teachers told Fox and Friends that the nation's schools are facing problems with staff shortages, behavioral issues by students, and a moral dilemma about politics in the classroom. Three quarters of U.S. states now report they are short on teachers. A teacher on the panel panel named Daniel Buck said the number one reason teachers are quitting is the trend away from discipline in the classroom. The number one reason that a lot of teachers are giving up uh, giving for it is behavior in the classroom. Uh, he is a visiting fellow from Fordham's Institute and author of What is Wrong with Our Schools. Here's a quote. There is a kind of trend away from discipline, from standard punishments, consequences, and behavior is worsening across the country. And it's affecting everything else in education, including teacher morale. Uh, something I've been talking about now for quite a while. Here's another teacher that said one of the problems, her name is Ramona Bessinger, said adhering to political ideologies in the classroom. This is a quote from a teacher. Teachers are being forced to adhere to these political ideologies in the classroom and contrary to what the personal beliefs are and contrary to what is even right or true. For example, this anti-American content that we're seeing, this anti-girl, anti-boy content we're seeing. Sometimes they just elect to leave the profession or they're pushed out, quite frankly, harassed or bullied. I've been saying this for quite a while. And how does this come home? Mesa Public Schools um, talking about the restrooms. Safety surrounding bathrooms at junior highs and high schools has emerged as a regular topic for public comments at MPS board meetings this year. Uh, Most concerns air dealing with vaping, drug use, and even sexual activity in the restrooms. Um, There was a quiz. They quizzed the neighborhood about the schools. And um, uh, they mentioned a heavy amount of vaping, drug use, and even drug dealing in the restrooms. All of them said, all of them said, never use the restrooms near the cafeteria at lunchtime. Also went on to say, I'm hearing through the grapevine that all these kids that I'm in contact with and teachers and administrators, that it's a problem. I've been talking about this in the city of Phoenix. This is happening all over the country. Um, And so on one end of this, we are saying, why are our kids not learning to read? Why can't they write? Why can't they perform math skills? Now they can't pass a history exam. Well, if you look at what I've been saying for quite a while about teaching, um, let's look at this moral dilemma for a moment. We'll get to the violence in a second. Um, we have a teacher shortage. We keep hearing about it over and over again. If you listen to the teacher organizations in Arizona, they will tell you that it has everything to do with money and funding in the classroom and teacher pay. Yet, they're against a $10,000 raise for teachers that is actually in the state legislature. $5,000 this year, uh, $5,000 the year after that. A real raise of $10,000 for teachers. They don't like it because of the new reporting and the new accountability that in it. But away from that, we have Arizona Christian uh, University, ACU in the West Valley. They have an education department and they, they have teachers, educators that are coming out of that program. This is an academically excellent school. 
It is a school that also adheres to a moral standard. And it, it disagrees, and I want you to hear this, the moral standard of what they believe at Arizona Christian University disagrees with the moral beliefs of some of the members at the Washington School District. There has never been an issue. No, none of the student teachers have ever brought up morality, marriage, never brought it up in school. They've never been accused of it being an issue. They've never accused of it coming up. One woman who identifies as I think she she is um, I, I can't remember what her identity is, but she wears the cat ears to the meetings. And this is a woman that's on the school board. She found out on ACU's website that they have a statement of faith that says a marriage is between a man and a woman. Well, that contradicts what the Washington Elementary School District thinks about marriage. Why does an elementary school kid need to be in that conversation? So even though in five years there's never been one complaint against a student teacher from ACU, they ended the contract. They're short on teachers. You've got young people that are going into the profession, and you refuse to let them on campus. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Sound And the funny thing is they're calling ACU bigots. Well, hang on a minute. Nobody at ACU, and I know the president of Arizona Christian University. He's a good man. His name is Len Munsell. He's a good guy. No one at ACU ever went to the Washington School District board meetings and ever said to the board, you people are disgusting with your belief in marriage, Bubba, and so we will not subject our student teachers to your schools. Never. They went and they did their job. And yet they're the ones that are being called bigoted. And because there isn't an uproar from the community, the person on the school board shut up for a little while. They didn't say anything. They let it all blow over and it's gone. But the problem's not solved. They still have a teacher shortage. They still have an education problem in that district. Now let's look at violence. The city of Phoenix, in their infinite wisdom at the school board, decided to table the opportunity to put school resource officers back in their campuses. And as I've told you before, any parent out there, you should be asking questions. You should be asking questions. We have seen after, and I want you to know this is only after, the media has reached out to the schools that they admit that there were guns on campuses. Letters go out. They put letters out. Dear such and such family, whatever the school is. Um, it uh, There was a report of a weapon on campus. They won't say it was a student that had it, a weapon on campus. The weapon was located, and at no time were any of the students or faculty in danger, which is, you know what that is. Um, that's just BS is what that is. That Of course they were in danger. Until that gun was taken away from the student that brought it to school, they were in serious danger. They found knives, two bags of fentanyl, have been turned over to the police by the administration. Isn't it interesting, though, when the drugs and the guns are being turned over uh, to the police, um, it's school policy sometimes not to name the student they got it from. So you've got administrators that are sheltering kids from any kind of punishment for bringing guns on campuses, knives on campuses. I've seen the pictures. I've seen the videos of the fights on campuses, brawls in the courtyards. Kids and teachers are terrified in some of these school districts to walk around campus. And yet when you had an opportunity to put school resource officers back on your campuses, you tabled the vote. The idea that someone is taking fentanyl, two bags of fentanyl, And turning them in 
and not naming the person they took it from. Can you imagine students? There, there are pictures that were put up on social media of students in a Phoenix Union High School with a gun he took pictures with in a school building and posted them on social media. There have been multiple gun confiscations that have happened. Parents should be asking what's happening to those students. You get the runaround, and the runaround is where our policy is that we don't talk about this, and our policy is we don't tell people who this is. It's because they don't want the community at large understanding the severity of the problem that's here. Good kids should not have to be afraid to go to school. And if you want to go to school and you're one of those kids that realizes, listen, if I want to do something with my life, I have to be able to read. I have to be able to perform math skills. It would be really nice if I knew accurate history and I'm going to school and I've got to walk a gauntlet just to get to the classroom. And I'm afraid I don't want to use the restrooms. I'm afraid they're dealing drugs in there. And instead of this being front page news everywhere in town asking why and how often is this happening, which would be a great question for any member of the media to ask the school districts doing a Freedom of Information Act request on this. Find out what's going on and then let's ask how we're fixing the problem. These are our children that are not getting an education and they're afraid. And so are the teachers. Coming up in a moment, um, at least one state wants to make it possible for children to serve alcohol. Is this a bad thing? We'll talk about changing labor laws coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. I got an interesting comparison I'd like to make, uh, and I think it's a common sense comparison. It's just about who we are and how we think. Uh, This is from Vox. It's the Republican push to weaken child labor laws explained. Very ominous. In in Wisconsin, circulating a new bill that would allow workers as young as 14 years old to serve alcohol in restaurants. Um, Down from the age of 18 where it says now it creates a simple solution to workforce and staffing issues, according to this Republican bill. Um, And so uh, in 2022, New Hampshire, New Jersey passed laws extending the hours teenagers could work. Um, Some rule changes like allowing teens to work later in the summer sound fairly innocuous. Um, But what's interesting about this is the criticism about what this is doing to children. Um, I have another headline. I just want to compare to kids being able to work. Now, I want you to understand I've got a very jaded view on this. I had my first job when I was 12, which was an under-the-table job because I was too young to work, but I did work in a restaurant at 12. Um, I'd worked a little bit before that doing some other things. I worked on a fishing boat for a little while and um, I, I volunteered. I, I, I got paid, but I, I was it was not really a job. Um, cleaning the boat, that kind of stuff. Um And I had done some other things, but then I got my first job at 15, lied on a job application because I was supposed to be 16. So I've been working since I was at a very young age. And um, there are things I would have changed about my childhood, being more of a child, looking back. I wish I had done that. But at the same time, it was kind of necessary for our family that I was working, that I was able to be self-sufficient in many ways. Not, I was not self-sufficient. My mother still cared for me, but I was able to take care of some things for myself. And I, but I grew up too fast. That was a trade-off that I made. 
But I want to compare this labor law headline that demonizes people that are trying to solve a labor problem and do these things as somehow it's dangerous and treacherous for children. Uh, Oregon Republicans slam a bill that would allow a sex change and abortion for minors without parental consent. So I'm I'm asking a a question that I think is a a relevant question. I'm not trying to necessarily start a fight, but I'm definitely trying to start a conversation. If children at the age of 14, if if it is a disastrous thing to say a 14-year-old could serve alcohol, um, why? What is it about their childhood that they're losing? Um, Because in Oregon, they are trying to pass a law that would allow a child to have an abortion or a sex change or go through some kind of hormonal therapy to change their gender without their parents knowing. Now, of course, if it ends in a medical disaster, the parents are going to pay the price. The state isn't. The parents will. Um, but I, and I mean this sincerely. How do you look at, at, a, at a political party and say, look at these horrible people trying to make children go to work? These are children, for God's sakes. But these same children can have a sex change or an abortion without telling their parents. Does any of that seem logical to you? Does that make logical sense to you? Because it doesn't to me. It makes absolutely no sense to me at all. A parent is still the parent is still the parent is still the parent. They have all the responsibilities of the parents, and they're, they're trying to take their parental rights away. And when your defense is, well, there are some parents, you're right, there are some parents. Um, you know, There are some parents that are just not good at the job. There are some parents that probably never should be. But that doesn't mean that whether it's a parent or a guardian, that somebody that is charged with the responsibility of every mistake that that child makes in their life until they're 18 years old and even beyond that in many cases, um, that you are don't have an absolute obligation to fill them in on every decision that their child makes. And it is laughable to me when you lay those two headlines side by side that one is just – Horrible. We are we are taking away children's childhood. We're going to let a 14-year-old work in a bar? Are you kidding me? But if they want to change their gender, by all means, hide it from the parents. We'll use your pronouns in school. We won't tell anybody. You want to get some kind of therapy and hormone blockers? Yeah, we're down for that too. If you need a reproductive health appointment at Planned Parenthood, we absolutely will let you out without telling your parents. We'll make sure you get there safe. We make sure you get back to the school safe. We won't tell a soul because there's no reason for a parent to know that. But a 14-year-old working, man, that would be a horrible thing to put a child through. Just contemplate those couple of things. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, Yuma Regional Medical Center is still out over $26 million. We are going to talk about the border next.